Welcome back. Good afternoon. No more sidebars. We have two more papers to wrap up uh, the conference. As I mentioned earlier, Professor Mbaku's paper will not be presented, and Major Dian's also will, will not be presented. So we have Lieutenant Colonel Phyllis Spangler from AFRICOM, whose paper will be presented last. Uh, from the College of Worcester, will be speaking on the Mauritanian military and the U.S. war on terror. Please welcome Professor Ndia to the podium. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good afternoon. Uh, I uh, uh, prepared this with the, uh, the assumption that I'll be the very, very last one to, uh, to make the presentation. But uh, it's, uh, it's good that uh, I, I will uh, let uh, that uh, burden fall on uh, my good friend Phil over there. Uh, let me first uh, thank uh, uh, Kereshi and uh, those who organized this conference um, for the invitation first and uh, for uh, 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 really bearing with me, uh, I, uh, we had some back and forth on uh, whether or not I could make it. Uh, I appreciate that uh, they went uh, well beyond the call of duty to, to accommodate me. And I'm, of course, uh, uh, glad to be here. Now, uh, one of the challenges that uh, uh, Phil and I face, of course, is uh, uh, when you are the very last uh, speaker of a, a conference where... Uh, Pretty much uh, everything has been uh, uh, said, uh, not necessarily done, but uh, certainly uh, well said uh, by uh, 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 very, very smart, very knowledgeable people. Uh, well, what we try to do is to, to avoid repeating uh, things, certainly uh, repeating things uh, uh, in a, a bad French accent. <laughs> so, so I... <laughs> So yeah, so I'll try. I'll try not to repeat. And one way to go to do that is essentially to talk about a little-known country called Mauritania, uh, which is really a, a case study of a number of things that that uh, have been said. Uh, I really think that Mauritania can teach us a few lessons about this whole war on, on terror all the aspects that were mentioned earlier in terms of uh, how to do it right, uh, some of the issues involved, and in particular, and in particular, as you will see, how countries that could be insignificant can become 
major players in this whole operation and end up essentially manipulating a superpower like the U.S. So I think there are some lessons here that Mauritania uh, can uh, teach us. I just came back, uh, literally a few hours back. Uh, excuse me, I was back from uh, from West Africa, and I was in Mauritania. I was in Mali, uh, and I, in preparation for this presentation, and also for in in the context of my my other uh, uh, research, talked to a, a dozen of uh, one dozen, a few dozen of people in Mauritania about this particular issue. So I think it's 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 good. Uh, uh, that I was able to do that. So what I'll be doing is to focus on the security establishment of Mauritania and what it has done in the context of this uh, global war on terror uh, since 2001. I will also mention something that does not come uh, up when you talk about the war on terror, uh, certainly with Mauritania, and that is what I call the French connection. Because the French are coming back with a vengeance. They literally were uh, almost expelled from their former colony uh, uh, thanks to uh, very, very deft uh, uh, U.S. diplomacy starting uh, in the late years of the uh, uh, Clinton administration. Now the French are certainly back, and I think the U.S. should should uh, factor that in whatever they do with Mauritania. Again, to repeat, my contention is that the U.S. should pay close attention to the political dynamics within the Mauritanian security establishment, within the military, the, uh, the Mauritanian political system so that it will avoid being manipulated in its pursuit, legitimate or not. Uh, some argue legitimate. I tend to believe it's legitimate. Legitimate pursuit of uh, its security interest in that part of the world. So, like I said at the beginning, Mauritania is one of those countries that you really don't hear about until there is a coup or there is something uh, like that. So, very little known. So, let me give you a little bit of a background about the country. The first is geopolitical. Uh, in real estate, they say it's location, location, location. So in the case of uh, terrorism in that part of the world, Mauritania is really prime real estate, if you will, uh, when it comes to, to, uh, to uh, terrorism. Situated uh, right <laughs> uh, where uh, really trouble is between northern Africa, uh, Western Africa, and a huge swath of land where, of course, uh, ungoverned, misgoverned, whatever adjective you can come up with. Now, another dimension is Islam, as uh, my good friend uh, Abdullah mentioned earlier. Clearly a, 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 a critical dimension for Mauritania. I'll say a word about it in a minute, but let me just correct uh, Abdullah. It's not 98%, it's 100%. Uh, so. <laughs> Yes, two percent. So one hundred percent, and of course that is one of the the uh, the uh, 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 I don't know the arguments that uh, one of the arguments that are used in the multiple political system. But we are all Muslims, so we should we should be just fine. And of course uh, that is uh, uh, small screen. Uh, 
part of the background of uh, Mauritania is that, uh, uh, let me just say a quick word about uh, Islam in Mauritania. Again, uh, Sunni uh, uh, Islam, very, very moderate until it was recently, uh, as uh, somewhere else, uh, elsewhere in West Africa, uh, politicized thoroughly and uh, instrumentalized. Another dimension of the background is ethnic and uh, uh, tribal dimensions. The Mauritanian society is divided with, by, uh, in, in three large groups. The, uh, uh, what we call in the Mauritanian political uh, uh, lingo, the uh, uh, Negro Mauritanians, like myself, uh, uh, sub-Saharan uh, culture, uh, Muslims, but uh, with our distinct uh, culture, languages that are not Arabic, uh, very, very much marginalized, at least historically, in every respect. The second community is the Haratin, that's the descendants of uh, uh, formerly enslaved uh, black Africans who constitute, a, a, I would say, at least 40% of the population, even more marginalized. And, of course, the third group is a group called the Bidan, the light-skinned Moors, who are really in control of the country, uh, politically, militarily, in, uh, economically, in every other respect. And you, of course, because of the, uh, the very unequal division of uh, uh, power, political, economic, and in, in every respect, you have tensions that you cannot ignore when you want to talk about the war on terror and the role of the uh, military in it. Now, of course, you have a very important uh, dimension of that background. That is what is called in the Mauritanian political lingo uh, the human rights deficit. Uh, in the late 1980s, early 1990s, uh, the country uh, experienced a, a very, very severe uh, political crisis in which massacres were uh, committed, including within the, the military, at least 500 uh, people were massacred in an army that then was about uh, eight to 10,000, just to give you a scale. Uh, tens of thousands of Mauritians were expelled from the country, uh, uh, deported, or some had to, to flee, and that is still a very major issue in, uh, in, the, in the parts of Mauritania, and that also has to be factored in. And of course, uh, the military played a major role in uh, the human rights abuses that happened against uh, black Mauritanians. And finally, of course, like everywhere else, the challenges of socioeconomic development. Uh, more than 60% uh, uh, live in poverty with uh, uh, one or two dollars a day. I don't remember exactly the statistic. Living on one or two dollars a day. Uh, so inequality and uh, underdevelopment throughout. Finally, again, part of this still uh, background, the division that have historically existed within the army. Now, I won't go into too much uh, detail, but uh, in order to consolidate his regime, Wolotaya, who had been in power between 1984 and 2005, essentially uh, uh, emasculated the army and created a Praetorian force called the Bazep, the uh, uh, battalion de security presidential in charge of his, his, his personal security and uh, equipped it enough that uh, it could prevail uh, against coups. And it did in 2003, but uh, as typically happens, it overthrew him in 2005. 
So that, those divisions exist. A quick word also to set, set, up, set this up, but also to, to uh, participate in the analysis. That's the Wultaya regime that lasted uh, a very long time by Mauritanian standards. 2000, uh, 1984, 2005, 21 years. And uh, at the end of his tenure, Wultaya had reinvented himself as the champion of, of uh, uh, anti-terrorism in the region. He went to the uh, 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 Madrid conference and reinvented himself in that role. And uh, the, 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 of course, the reward for that was the U.S. accepting uh, uh, essentially uh, him as in, in that role. The Bush, the, the Clinton administration first, and then the Bush administration essentially gave him that role. Uh, the Clinton administration first, uh, when uh, essentially uh, sensing his, his, his uh, vulnerability on the human rights deficit issue, uh, essentially accepted his gamble, said, well, look, I want you to forget about all of that. I'm going to be uh, nice. And nice in, in at that time uh, was his bold uh, uh, policy of uh, having ties with Israel. And essentially, uh, the, the Clinton administration with uh, Albright essentially said, well, uh, yes, that, that's good enough, and accepted uh, the, everything. And the Bush administration just followed uh, through on that and uh, 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 accepted again that he uh, got reborn as a, a, uh, uh, a, uh, a champion of uh, anti-terrorism. Now, I do remember at the time, I don't know if... Uh, uh, and I remembers, I, and I don't even know if I, we never, I never asked you that. Uh, I sent you a few memos on this. I never know if I don't know if you really received this. Uh, but in the end, I determined that well, uh, the Bush administration had uh, made his policy choice, and I dropped it. But I had warned that uh, he's really uh, playing game, and that in the end he would run into difficulties, and he did in 2005. Now. What has been the role of the military in the global war on terror? Of course, I, I promise not to repeat myself, to repeat uh, others. Uh, they already mentioned the Panzer Initiative and all the programs that followed it. And Mauritania was, of course, because of the location and all the rest of it, a very important uh, piece in that, in, in that, that uh, policy. But I think you should distinguish uh, roughly five different periods. The pre-2005, say, between roughly 2000 and 2005, when Wolpaya was still in power. And again, like I just said, he reinvented himself as champion of, of anti-terrorism and made it a, a, a speech in Madrid saying, well, we, we, we are facing uh, some, some uh, terrorist threats, uh, Islam is being uh, abused, and I am here to, to, to help uh, but you can help me too uh, um, uh, financially, but also uh, by backing me politically. Then he got overthrown. And I'll come uh, back uh, in a minute to talk about uh, some of the terrorist incidents that happened to reveal that indeed Mauritania was facing a terrorist uh, uh, threat uh, of, of sorts. 2005, 2000, and 
seven. That's the second period. That's the period where you got overthrown and there was a military junta in place that assured the transition between his regime and what happened next. And even during that period, uh, there were some attacks I'm going to come to uh, a little bit uh, later. But essentially, nothing has changed. Mauritania still saw itself as being a, a, a key state in the fight against terror and sought as much as possible to, to milk that uh, position, if you will. But it was an exceptional period uh, of a military junta trying to, uh, to uh, transition from a, uh, a dictatorship to a democracy. Third period, that is the period of democratic window in Mauritania. To the credit, and again, uh, without uh, doing any, any shameless uh, uh, self-promotion, I wrote an article in African Affairs that I, I think documents uh, what happened uh, during that period, 2005-2007. So uh, in, in case you are interested, uh, that's maybe uh, where you should, you should, uh, you should uh, look for, for details about this. But 2007-2008 was a period of democratic opening. A democratically elected uh, leader... Uh, an older gentleman, uh, very democratically oriented, who may not have grasped sufficiently the risk that uh, he himself was uh, facing, but the country also in terms of uh, the uh, terrorist threat. There were still some terrorist incidents, but here... Without again, I can't go into a lot of details. But what he what he did is to appoint a a a, a, a major figure in the Mauritanian military and put him in charge of the entire security of the country, including the fight against terrorism. Well, I, I'm going to come later and talk about the major actors, and he, uh, this general is one of them. He is currently the head of state. So during the democratic period. There still were efforts to face terrorism, but I, I think the president was not uh, very conscious of uh, the fact that he needed to, to, to be very careful about this particular dossier, because in the end it, it, it was it's, uh, the, the cause of his, his downfall. All right, let me move on quickly. The post-democratic period, oh boy, five minutes. So let me, let me just go uh, uh, quickly. So the... the the next period was the period when the democratically elected leader was overthrown and a junta calling itself the High Council of State came in. It was led by this general who had been in charge of the anti-terrorist uh, 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 operations, if you will. He quickly saw that it was in, advantage, in his own advantage to uh, drum up the terrorist uh, uh, card, which he did. And uh, again, uh, it did not help him much, but again, uh, uh, that period was about a year or so, when the Mauritania was uh, under sanction from the, from the U.S. I'll come to that in a minute. But certainly the terrorist threat did not diminish. Throughout these five periods I just mentioned, I will uh, tell you some of the things that happened during this period to highlight that throughout Mauritania was indeed under uh, 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 terrorist uh, threat. Finally, the period between July 2009 and on, 
That's just about uh, a few months, two, three months, which is a period where the military hunter leader essentially uh, legitimizes himself through, through elections. Now, the U.S., at the very beginning, uh, because of location and because of some other dynamics, had identified that Mauritania was indeed one of the uh, states, uh, along with the other uh, PS, uh, uh, PSI states, to uh, benefit from uh, uh, funding and from uh, training and from some positioning of some, some troops uh, on its territory, U.S. troops on its territory, and benefiting from uh, material uh, to, uh, as part of its global uh, fight against terrorism in that region. And uh, to quote, uh, uh, <clears throat> to quote uh, one of the uh, U.S. officials, the U.S. sees Mauritania as a bulwark against the encroachment uh, southward of Al-Qaeda-minded militants in North Africa. It has, it, it has sent dozens of troops to train Mauritania's military units in its uh, far north, northern desert, but it suspended those programs in response to the coup, that is the 2008 coup. Now, quickly... Uh, what, what is the evidence that Mauritania uh, faced, indeed, a terrorist threat? The, whereas before 2005, there were some, my, what we call, minor incidents of evidence of, of terrorism, uh, like uh, the, the growth of Salafist uh, discourse. Uh, uh, once in a while, a, a, uh, an imam uh, uh, calling for openly for jihad, etc. It wasn't until 2005 Exactly, April, uh, June 2005. Mind you, just a few weeks before a major U.S. Uh, 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 training operation uh, involving Mauritania, there was an attack in Lamqayti, June 5, 2005, where 15 Mauritanian soldiers were literally slaughtered by uh, the uh, GSPC. Then, under the transition, 2006, December, Al-Qalawiyah, another attack, again attributed, and the first one was actually claimed by uh, the GSPC, the Salafist group for preaching and combat, which later became the uh, Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb. Another attack, 2008, September 9, 2008, at Turin, against Mauritanian soldiers in the, uh, at an outpost in the Sahara Desert. Again, a, that wide swath of land I just mentioned where essentially uh, all kinds of traffic, all kind of traffic uh, uh, take place. Another attack in Nuakchot itself of the U.S., uh, the, not the U.S. Embassy, the Israeli Embassy uh, was shot at, yeah, uh, 20 minutes, thank you. No. <laughs> Uh, uh, so, the, the Israeli embassy in broad daylight was attacked in Nuakchot. Uh, December 2007, four French tourists were assassinated and again claimed by uh, uh, the GSPC. In 2009, June, a, French, a, a, a U.S. citizen was assassinated in, uh, in Nuakchot. And finally, in August 2009, there was uh, something unheard of in Mauritania, a kamikaze attack against the French embassy. So clearly, there is a, a major problem uh, with this. Now, 
the military has managed this in a number of ways. First, it really depended on who was in key positions at the time. And that leads me to talk about the major, the, the major actors. The major actors are, number one, and for quite some time, the person who is now sitting in the presidential uh, seat in, in Nakshat, General Mohammed Abdaziz. He had been, uh, before 2005, the, uh, the commandant of the, that uh, special battalion for presidential security. And, like I said, the army really had nothing. He had everything. And he was in charge, literally, of the security of the country. And security of the country at that time was security of the, the, the president. He staged the first coup, 2005. Staged the second coup, 2008. And throughout, when it was uh, uh, necessary, he trumped up the terrorist card including the 2008 coup, one of the arguments was that the president, civilian president, was not mindful of the terrorist threat. Whereas he was the one who was in charge of this. So the U.S. should expect added uh, manipulation of this issue uh, uh, when, when he, he, as, as he is uh, the, uh, the, uh, the president. The second key actor is uh, what some have called his alter ego. Uh, the general, a general called Mohammed Sheikh Mohammed Ahmed, uh, also known as Ghazwani. He is the chief of staff of the, 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 the army right now. Again, uh, they are very close friends. They uh, sing the same tune, and uh, when it suits their political purpose, they will uh, trump up uh, uh, the card. Finally, and this is someone that everybody should keep an eye on, and that is uh, another general who is the National Security Director. Uh, his name is Mohammed Al Hadi, a, uh, a very cunning uh, individual who has been in uh, the, uh, the security section for a long time and uh, who has been now rehabilitated after uh, being uh, essentially uh, sent, sent off to Morocco uh, and, uh, and the World Bayer. A very manipulative figure. Uh, he has, uh, uh, during the election, electoral process, manipulated the uh, uh, terrorist threat uh, in favor of his candidate, uh, the current president uh, of Mauritania. So we have, in essence, a military that has, again, I, there are quite a few things that I could not uh, cover here, but in essence, we have a military that has a, a long history of division, a long history of uh, uh, entitlement to power in Mauritania, and a, a military that does not hesitate to uh, uh, use this issue to the hilt when it suits its purpose. Now, one thing I haven't said that I'll, I'll maybe mention quickly before I conclude. The first attack, which uh, 2005, the uh, uh, attack, which was to lead to the military coup of 2005. Up to today, there is no consensus that it was really uh, a JSPC, a JSPC uh, 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 coup. Some people continue to believe that 
there was some manipulation involved to strengthen the case uh, for Mauritania as a, a country under terrorist attack so that uh, the U.S. dollars uh, uh, will, will keep coming and that the position of uh, Wultaya, who was then facing uh, a stronger position, would still be uh, the candidate of uh, the West, if you will. So uh, the, the U.S., although recognizing that Mauritania, because of its location, because of other dynamics, is an important uh, key uh, uh, partner uh, in uh, the war on terror in uh, uh, Northwest Africa, should be very, very careful uh, about uh, these actors in particular, uh, uh, now, I haven't uh, have had time to talk much about the human rights deficit and some of the, the issues involved with that. So the U.S. should be very careful. Uh, uh, I guess it has no choice but, uh, but uh, to, uh, to engage a country like Mauritania. But it has to be very careful uh, not to be uh, manipulated into, uh, uh, by, by these, these uh, main actors. Let me end up on this, this note. Well, U.S. is uh, quite often uh, vilified uh, in its relations and, in this case, with Voltaire. But I have to say that uh, the U.S. really had uh, the, the, the higher ground uh, uh, in this last coup. Uh, when the French, oh, I didn't mention uh, the, uh, the French connection. Uh, I'll, uh, give me two minutes uh, to, to come to that. Uh, when, when the French, in particular, were basically... Uh, uh, using all kinds of tricks to strengthen the hand of the, the, the putschists. The U.S., for once, really had a principled position on this, suspended its, its uh, uh, freeze, uh, froze its, uh, its uh, cooperation with, uh, with the Mauritanian Hunda, as I think it should, uh, and that, that shows, I think, that it's possible uh, for the U.S. to, to uh, stick by its principles uh, when, when uh, uh, the, 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 some major issues are at stake, and it did that in this case. Finally, the, the French connection. The French used to their advantage the fact that there was an, a, a, an, an nth coup in Mauritania. When everybody, including the U.S., was trying to uh, return democracy, France was using its knowledge of these folks it, and its, uh, its, uh, its uh, relations to cut deals. Back in, in uh, March 2008, uh, 2009, when uh, the whole world was trying to bring back democracy, France was signing <laughs> contracts to bring back its military uh, uh, to set up a, a base in the north. France was getting Total to sign agreements for prospection of oil. So uh, I think the second point, maybe I'll end on, the, on this. The second point that the U.S. should pay attention to is the role of France, uh, to, to really uh, uh, pay close attention to the role that France has been playing uh, uh, in the, the Mauritian context, uh, essentially uh, pulling the cover to itself, uh, forgetting about democracy, forgetting about uh, uh, the need to, to transform fundamentally uh, the, the way this, the, 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 the uh, military has been run. Uh, the way it has been run is not uh, uh, the way any military uh, should be run. It certainly is not the way uh, the, the military that the U.S. is trying to, to at least say, is, uh, U.S. is saying it is trying to institute in Africa should be run. All right. Sorry uh, about the rumbling. I'll stop here. Thank you very much.
is only uh, proper that a discussion about U.S.-West Africa security relations should come to an end with the last presentation by a gentleman on the thick of things, Lieutenant Colonel Philip Spangler. I hate being late, but I seem to be there all the time. Um, where do I put the stick in, sir, for the, uh, for the drive? Oh, I have, I have my, uh, uh, I have this microphone here. Let me get back to you. For the thumb drive? <laughs> I, I'm glad I didn't swear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, with the laptop? Huh? You just have your jump drive? Yeah, have this. And so, um, what I'll do is... Are you familiar with this program? Save to. Hey, Zach. Can I get you to help me for a minute, brother? I just need to. Um, I'm not familiar with uh, with this software program to make sure yeah, that yeah. it's saved to the drive and then. Right, but that's saved to the computer, and I need to save it to the drive. So you want to save it to the drive? Yeah, save it to the drive. This is called. Is it PowerPoint? Cooperation. Yeah, PowerPoint. Yeah, PowerPoint. Is it PowerPoint? Uh, go, yes, go it's PowerPoint. Okay, if you say PowerPoint. Exactly. And then go. Um, yeah, the rest should be. Your time is running. Alice Clark. Yeah. This one? Mm hmm. Oh, we saved it right back to them. Should be on. Let me let it you know, this, this is on the removable drive, and I need to save it onto the. Uh, oh, onto the I need to drive. save it onto the. Um, oh, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. So I can pull the. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, I'm not from there. Oh, yeah. oh, there we go. Okay. Save us. That's what I'm looking for. Save it to the desktop. No, no. Just the desktop. You go to computer. Yeah. Um, go to computer. Save it as thumb drive. Save it as? Thumb drive. Thumb drive. Well, you want to save it. Yeah, you just, just do PowerPoint presentation. PowerPoint. Right. And then it will ask you where. Okay. Yeah, you have to go. Okay. Okay. And then computer. Computer. Specify. Go to computer. Computer. Down. Okay. Then go down. Give you your, your keys. Okay. Uh, it's it's key. Hold on. Okay. Uh, I think you need to maybe double click okay. that. Because we have a Presentations. Well, let's see if it comes up. Control. 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 It should be on the thumb drive on the app. So it keeps going up, I think. You want the app drive. Mm -hmm. That's Sometimes it takes a minute for it to recognize it. Okay. Um, no, not this one. Here, try, try here. on here. No. Like over here, yeah. No. Uh -huh. Okay. 
D, D, C, no, it's not showing up. No, it didn't show up. Is it this one here? Yeah, that should work. You can try the other one. Or the one by she and C. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on, he's coming. Yeah, just try the Okay. He brought his There it is. Okay. He's coming. Removable disc. Nice one? Oh, yeah. No, nice one. That's right. Okay. Is it there? Let's see. How do you roll? Is that. Uh, okay, so you're in the screen. Oh, no. You're in the screen. Okay. You can go to. Let's see. Um, no, it's slides. the wrong, it's the wrong one. It's the wrong one. Yeah. Let's see. What is it called? Uh, okay. Is that Addressing the symmetric. Okay. Addressing. Okay. Now how do I make this one go large? Okay. This. This one? Yeah. How do, you, how, do you, how do you put this to full play? Well, you've got this here. It's, it's already there. That's what you wanted to show. Okay, we're all good. Yeah. All right, my apologies for um, not being... I don't need it. Thank you. My apologies for not being fully prepared. You know, that's one of the things. Is the new the new software, I, I didn't want to learn it, and I resisted against learning it, and so now I had to pay and hold you up also. Um a brief introduction. I feel a little bit a little bit different today when I come in uniform, you know, than when I'm sitting here in a suit. Um, but let's talk about what really matters. Uh, my name is Phil Spangler. I'm from uh, the Joint Special Operations Task Force, which is part of Special Operations Command Africa, but which is now part of Africom. Um, I've been involved in Africa for nine years in West Af only West Africa. And I've made it as far down as uh, Congo once and then was in Liberia during the Lord invasion of the city. So that's as far down in the west as I've gone. The rest of my time has been involved in the area that we call um, operational area or the OEFTS area. And today what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes. Actually, it's going to be about 12 minutes since my time has been running for quite a while. And just give you a brief overview and a brief understanding of the way that I see things. And first of all, I agree with all of you. The way for the future is through good cooperation between our, our governments, between our military forces, and the way to move forward on security threats is through stronger governments and stronger security apparatuses and by leaders that care and invest in people. So you can make your country inhospitable to those who would do you harm. What I do for the, uh, for the organization, I'm the Director of Oper Information Operations. It's kind of an unusual term. Um, in the area of the OEFTS area, um, I synchronize all of the civil military units that work for us, that we have on the ground, that are doing, um, uh, looking at infrastructure, they're doing uh, veterinary and civic action programs, medical civic action programs, things of this nature. And by saying synchronize, at the same time we have uh, special operations soldiers that will go down 
in work um, training, doing small unit training and training with the military. So what I'll do is I'll move the civil affairs guys over. I'll program that they're in the same place at the same time. Then I'll fly doctors in, and I'll have the medicines there, and then I'll make sure that the public affairs officer is there. And so then the world can see the message of what we're doing from the ground up, from the local newspapers all the way up. And the most important people that need to see the story are those people on the ground. We begin our overview. This is what I'll speak about. The operational area, where we work at, the threats operating within that region um, from a multi-tiered perspective, a brief history of the Pan-Sahel Initiative and Operation Enduring Freedom Trans-Sahara, the Joint Special Operations Task Force operational elements, those are the civil affairs guys and the, uh, the military information support guys and the special forces guys. And then I'll give you observ my observations and my thoughts on um, the development of security forces from a non-kinetic perspective. That's, that's where my role in the military is, non-kinetic. And then we'll address any questions in the last 30 seconds that I'll have. This is not the map I wanted, but it's interesting because um, I helped write the OEFTS plan. It was written on a shoestring. Uh, it didn't have any money to it. And this is when we first started to understand the area. So this is actually an original slide from original military briefing. Um, you know, Africa is so huge. And people used to say to me, where do you want to go do civil military operations? And I said, I don't know. Look, it's the size of America. And that's the, that's the difficulty. It's the wide expanse. It's the reason why militaries can't get up into the areas where the threats are, because it takes so long to get there. I spent 4,000 miles on the ground in Mali and actually wore out a truck. 4,000 miles running around. And it gave me a good idea of what uh, the GSBC faces in their day. This is what we call the Sahel through here. And I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, but the Sahel is an interesting place when you go there. It's where the, the grass fades away and the Sahara starts. We're running operations in Mauritania, Mali. Niger has once again become unattainable for us. I have my own thoughts on, on, on why. And then, of course, Chad. Let's talk about the threat, the threat to civil society. This is what I think is important. You said, what is the most important? I would put my time to working with the gendarmerie. I would put my time working with the police and the ports and get all the borders. This is what I feel is one of the most important things. We could talk about al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is important. Al-Qaeda in Maghreb formerly GSPC. It's very, very important. They live in the desert. They're gaining strength for recruiting, and we'll talk about that later. But this is where the money comes from. As you heard Andrea talk earlier today, she talked about the threat of cocaine and how cocaine continues to increase in volume. The Americans were successful in mitigating or slowing down the flow of cocaine out of South America and through the old pass, up through the Keys into Florida. They put up a lot of radars on balloons. 
and they had a lot of customs work and a lot of security people, a lot of special forces guys involved. And the general could talk to you about uh, counter narcotics. He worked on it in in the uh, Southeast Asia, and that's really where we got a lot of the models from. But the point being here is that we were successful, and we rerouted what I'll call the enemy, the opportunist. We rerouted them, and now in order to get their products to Europe. The easiest way is to go all the way across the ocean. So they're going across the ocean by plane and by boats. And they're putting it in all across here. This is the whole line. It's real. This is the best document I've seen. UN, United Nations Office of Drugs and Crimes, 2009 report. It is as close as I've seen to any classified documents. And that's a threat to free to watch. You heard uh, General Adik Balfa talk about maritime security today. This is my line. This is what I put here. That's the area that has to be protected through maritime security. And, and militaries in the customs looking out for the coast. For the enemy, the most important thing for them is their pilots. Because that's the expense. Once the drugs come across here, either by freighter by normal small boat or aircraft, they start going inland, and they go through Mali, they go through Mauritania, all the way up. The key thing to remember is that they're running along old traditional lines. When I was in Mali, running with a, with a laptop in the car and a GPS, and I'd taken the old French Michelin map and georectified it and snapped it to grid on the computer so I could actually drive along and look at the old Michelin map on my computer. And the Michelin map was made in the 50s. And on the ground, it was only about 200 to 300 yards off. That's how close the people still track. Those are the routes that that's going over. And the thing to remember is that on any place where you go for commodities and commodities trade, narcotics are being traded. Several, uh, about a month ago, um, one of my guys tell me, told me, he said, hey, uh, in Bamako, they have now found crack cocaine. And if you don't know the dangers of crack cocaine, please educate yourself. Because you can make more product out of cocaine. You can make more crack out of, out of standard cocaine. I think it's a one to four ratio. It's extremely addictive. So what happens in the future when the gangs start to build, people start leveraging civil society? That's the danger. The danger with the with uh, the criminals and Al Qaeda is they're leveraging the flow. Al Qaeda charges money, and you heard Russ Howard say the other day, General Howard say that we don't have the facts on it, but we're starting to see things. And the same as cigarettes, we're starting to see that we know that that Alparo was a smuggler. We know that uh, the other gentlemen are smugglers, and they're taxing the flow of it. From UNODC, these are the destabilizers. Cocaine, oil, it's not a global thing. That's specific to Nigeria. That's the UN's. What I say here is cocaine, cigarettes, counterfeit medicine, um, victims, and small arms. Human migration, toxic waste, and, and oil go into a different category. 
cocaine, cocaine, cigarettes, and in small arms uh, for money, cocaine, and cigarettes. Once again, another UNODC. I color this red to show you here. Cigarettes, cocaine, compared to oil that's bunkered out of Nigeria, in U.S. millions of dollars. And now you see that seven years ago when I was looking at this, looking for numbers, the few numbers I could find, they certainly weren't at that volume. You can go on the Internet, dig for your own, do your research, and you'll see it'll start to appear the threat. Cigarettes. I track the I track the routes coming out of uh, Nima, out of uh, Mauritania, and running over on the old traditional lines. People don't really care about cigarettes. We said, hey, I, I said, let people smoke. You know, if if you're a, uh, a, a Salafi, and if we say that the, the Salafia, the ones that are the hardcore, that are attempting shaping, to shape change through violence, and if they want to go to Timbuktu, and that man's father told him that, Yes, he had 100 saints, 101 saints. Then let him, and he wants to smoke them, let the guy in Timbuktu smoke, and it doesn't really matter. All that matters is when the size of those rounds gets up to a discus-sized round or the volume of the weapons, that's when it starts to matter. And people really didn't look at the money because the volume of cigarettes wasn't there. What's a pack of Marlboros? Marlboros are the number one cigarette that's smuggled. What's a pack of marbles run for? A carton. Carton. $40? The statistics? Sure, I'm going to go over. You know I'm going to go over. I'll try not to. I'm a very verbose person. Um, just shows you where they're coming from. The, uh, the volume, 11 billion illicit cigarettes for, for West Africa consumer markets. 21 billion for North Africa. $774 million value. And what it doesn't talk about is it doesn't talk about for the markets that are going north. I was almost going to say a moral issue. I'd say, hey, sir, could you remind me to buy a couple cartons of cigarettes when we go back down to Africa? It wouldn't be right to say that. Cigarette smuggling, here's where, it, here's where it comes from, here's where it goes. I put the black circle on here, on here to show you that's the operational area. That's where the money's moving through. Peter, Peter, don't fall asleep, brother. Come on, I'll speed up. <laughs> that's that's where the money's running through. Where does the the GSPC out of Algeria um, operating through Mauritania, through Mali, up in the western part of Niger, coming down when they need supplies? Everything's happening there. Other destabilizing actors. This is going all the way across to Somalia with Al-Shabaab, um, Hezbollah, Islam, and others. Chad, Niger, you've seen them before. Something that I don't talk about much. It's hard to get information on, but, um, you know, if you live in the area, and for those experts that do live down there, I'm sure if I ask uh, Zachary Osman or Bubakar Adalia, they can tell me, you know, which NGOs lean more toward extremism? If you look to find out which NGOs are actually providing monetary support by bringing in humanitarian aid, and then once it comes into the port, it gets converted to cash, and then it goes off for funding, they're threats. 
They're threats. They're out there. They're real. And then extremist faith-based groups. Um, one of the things that uh, that we've done is to do um, surveys on the ground to ask people, "What have you ever heard of Al Qaeda? Have you ever heard of these? How do you feel about this?" Of course, we'll hire a contractor from the region that's well proven and send them out with a whole sheet of questions. And one of the things that we're finding that, that that's coming back. Um, especially that came out of northern Nigeria, was, no, not so much that people had a concern for al-Qaeda. A lot of people didn't even know al-Qaeda, you know, didn't know what their goals were, and they didn't want to support them. They didn't care about supporting them. How what they did care about and the way that they did lean to was extremist viewpoints, extremist viewpoints. In other words, would you pick up a weapon and would you shoot a coalition person or would you shoot an American or would you shoot a government person? No. In the name of Al-Qaeda, no. Would you do that to protect your religion? Yes. And it was, it's some place to go back to and, and look, what does that really mean? I'm not a big, I'm not a 100% believer in these things because what they lack is, they lack the human element for somebody to go there and to research deeper and to have a better understanding. Go ask the imam who lives in the area and has been there his whole life or somebody had those conversations. But it was Interesting thing that we're starting to see that extremist faith-based faith groups are um, a destabilizer. And, of course, transnational narcotics traffickers. The other ones that come naturally, and these are all those realms that USAID is the lead agency for U.S. Uh, disaster assistance and response within the DART team overseas, You've been there. You've lived them. Um, every year, the, the locust crops come, the bumper crops, the, the, the spring and in the winter. Um, you can go to, if you. For those of you who are new to this area, go to Famine Early Warning System, and you can see Famine Early Warning System, and you can see from from the air, from the satellites, what the Earth looks like. You can go to the to the other sites, Erin. Um, Information, International Relief Information Network, and you can see what's actually happening on the ground. So if you want to know what happened in Mali the last 30 days or Mauritania, you can go there and you can read what the NGOs wrote and what the people that are on the ground helping wrote. Very, very interesting. Serious issues? Medical issues. Upper respiratory problems, um, cataracts, problems, parasites, Unbelievable. And those are long-term medical medical issues. Those are all the things that I look at every day in my job that I'm trying to figure out how do they fit together. How can we holistically affect them? Um, you, you heard um, Ms. Ambassador talk earlier about the um, USAID and Department of Defense. You heard me talk the other day about, about the imbalancedness of it. Right now, the Department of Defense seems to have more money for humanitarian civic action and things of that nature. However, they they do make a good working partner. Uh, these teams, when they're on the ground working, doing uh, small projects together, and those small medical projects are good when they can be tied into what's the long vision for mitigating 
and who are the other, the other partners, the NGOs that we can pull in together. It's all USAID work, and so that's, that's their work. As a military guy, we get involved into it, but always it's a short term because my job is, is in security, the security sector. And with that, it all started out back in 2002, the Pants of Hell Initiative. It was a Department of uh, State-funded DOD-directed Special Operations Command Europe uh, executed capacity development program to build small company-sized elements that could protect uh, the national borders against armed smuggling, drug trafficking, and so on. So the biggest success that they had uh, was when the, uh, the, Niger the, the Nigerians chased Alpara into Chad, and the Chadians snagged him, and then the, he was extradited to Algeria, where he sits in Algeria today, on death row. Of course, the Algerians haven't killed anybody on death row, I think, since the early 90s, so he'll probably sit there until he passes away. But that was the, su the initial success out of the Panza Hill Initiative. The long road ahead with your militaries is the fact that, that forget the early conversation about leadership, that in that realm of civil military, the proper, the proper synchronization is the civil is on the top and the military is underneath subservient to the, to the, to the civil government. However, the civil government doesn't put, because of, due to their past experiences, the money back into the military. So when both of those organizations become professionalized, that system will get better. And what happens is you don't have things like logistics platforms. A truck, when a guy is, uh, a truck is donated, is there a logistics package that goes along with that? How long will it last? Someday it's going to run out. And teaching people how to do mechanical work, um, how to do basic skills work and things of that nature, that's where I see this will go to in the future, where it really needs to go. Because you have one sector that's the security sector, but all those other things that keep maintenance, maintenance running in an austere environment is so important. This is what the other part of the plan really looked like in the, in the great American wisdom we said, Hey, how can we get our other partners to help us? And we, and we said, okay, there's intrinsic partners in Africa and extrinsic, the Europeaners. How can we all get, get together and, and do it? And that was the original so slide that got briefed to um, the commander of UCOM. I think you already really have seen this before. In other words, it's the third-ranking uh, counterterrorism effort um, in the American inventory. The important thing is right here, the countries, Algeria, Burkina Faso just got added. So it's Algeria, Burkina Faso, Chad, Mali, Mauritania, just coming back online. Uh, Morocco, Niger, Nigeria, Senegal, Tunisia, and Libya is pending. Um, out of those, for operational reasons, Algeria, Mali, Mauritania are the center of gravity for, for Al-Qaeda. The things that we're doing for capacity building, um, the mechanism we're using, we do joint combined and multinational exercises. Um, we share information with each other. We're working out ways to, to talk to each other. If we see something, if we're seeing something on the ground, then we're giving it to the Malians. Um, it's, a good, it's a good process. It's a very good mission. Every year we get together in an in in uh, exercise called Flintlock. 
and we bring all our partners from Africa together, and we meet at some place like Paris, and we discuss it, or we bring them up to Germany, and we go over the operation, we go over the planning, and then we go back down and pick a country, and, and that's where we do have the base at, and then from there, there's operations that happen all around, not with just the American army, but with the Senegalese army, the Malian army, all working together. I want to tap this button faster, sir. I'm out of time. Well, that uh, pretty much concludes my briefing because I'm told I'm out of Do I have a few more minutes? A few more minutes. F few is defined as two. Okay, two. Okay. Absolutely. Let me just get it down into the, into the nitty-gritty. Here's some of the – this is not all-inclusive. These are – you heard her talking today uh, and the General talk, Howard talking the other day and also Arik Bofa talking. When we look at how serious AQIM is, this is a list of some of the, uh, the things that have happened over the last couple of years. Al-Qaeda in Maghreb and those opportunistic organizations which support it have now taken to kidnapping people, Europeans, not UK, not Americans, Germans, Austrians, so on and so forth. The 13 that were captured uh, back in 2005, just on the northern side of the border in Algeria, it was not known what the, what the Austrians and the Germans paid. It is known that it was somewhere between 5 million to 10 million euros. Now you can think about how much money and how many things you can buy with that. This is a list of, uh, of people that have died in and around the area of Mali. And this Mali in the core between uh, Kadal, Timbuktu. This is predominantly government and, um, and Touareg strife and some of us AQ. I'll leave it at that because really that's about the core of what I really want to say and everything else you've already been exposed to. I'll leave you with, uh, with just a few short phrases. Things won't change, but they never do in any country until a man is held responsible for the quality of his leadership and what he does for the people. It all begins at the top because he can evoke the grassroots level. The second thing, the threats that you saw, cocaine, it is real. It'll be in your neighborhood. Those neighborhoods in Africa, it will be there and it is there already. It's not going to get better. Um, the security apparatuses are looking at different ways to mitigate that, but look at it from the social perspective. With that, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. We've had the last two papers, one dealing with Mauritania, the last one dealing with what Africa uh, is doing with regard to helping combat terrorism within the context of uh, the strategic command. Questions? Uh, let me go back there. Yes. My question is for, uh, for our last presenter. Uh -huh. And uh, it pertains to the, to the Af AFRICOM. You pretty much emphasize on West Africa when in reality Al-Qaeda is predominantly present in East Africa. And actually, Al-Qaeda controls more than 70% of Somalia. And, uh, I don't disagree with you. Um, since my operational area is only West Africa, under OEFTS, the threat, as you notice, I didn't talk about Al-Shabaab. 
But do you know the seriousness of that organization? So, in North Kenya or any of those places? So my question was, I mean, how would AFRICOM approach East Africa and the presence of Al-Qaeda in that region, which is really present to us, you know, mm -hmm. East Africa? More directly. Yeah. More directly. More directly. More, com more in a combat, combat nature. Due to the fact that, what the journal say is due to the fact that it's an open combat area, uh, and people are getting killed every day, that it's going to be a direct action operation. Uh, in JTF, however, for dealing with the people, there's a lot of military civic action, a lot of um, veterinary action, things of that nature, with small civil affairs units going out and talking to people and working, you know, to try to keep a level uh, even keel. But, uh, more than that, I really can't speak to. What you are telling us to do is to do a second phase of this conference instead of focusing on West Africa to look at the continent of Africa and we'll take it seriously. Thank you. If you, yeah. if you Google Somalia and Special Operations about 28 September, you can put that in Google. It'll give you a very indication of the type of operation and the type of uh, strategy or tactics and techniques are going on in Somalia. Small operation, leader, capture, or kill one of the two. Uh, small footprint. Yeah, my question is for Bubaka. Bubaka, you didn't have time to elaborate on the particular strategies that uh, General Abdulaziz and the other ones are using to convince the U.S. that they are fighting against Islamic terrorism. Could you please tell us exactly how they're able to do that? Sure. Uh, now, uh, let me focus on, on the person who is really now has uh, in a position to, to really have an impact on the, uh, the war on terror as far as Mujahid is concerned, and that is General Wihadi. Uh, he is the Director of National Security. Uh, and uh, he is a, 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 an old hand at intelligence and, and manipulation and, uh, and the rest of it. The, uh, now, there is, uh, there is no doubt that Mauritania does, that does face a, a, a terrorist situation. Uh, 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 the SPC has been active in the northern part, and uh, I think uh, Colonel is right. Uh, uh, you cannot talk about terrorism without traffic of all sorts, cigarettes and arms and all of that that goes along with it. And in some cases, uh, we, we, we slap the GSPC uh, label, but in, 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 in most cases, it's really the, the, the traffickers. They are out to, 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 to make uh, some money. So that is there, nevertheless. What El Hadi has, and, uh, has done for them recently was the election. Uh, he has a, 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 a general who was a coachist and uh, took off the, the uniform and was running for, for office. What they did is wait on the eve of the election and manufacture completely a, an incident and, uh, and, and uh, 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 promulgate that they have just uh, uh, captured some, some uh, uh, kind of related uh, elements, which was completely false. 
and of course the event of that uh, in the wake of the election, uh, the eve of the election was basically to say, well, uh, you better vote for this guy, the general, he uh, will, will protect you and all of that. Second, just a few days back, uh, uh, there was a, 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 a all we know, an innocent uh, Malian from this Muslim region who were just roaming the place that uh, their, their uh, truck uh, had a, 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 a mechanical problem and they were out of nowhere, that I think uh, uh, they were boarded. But in Mali, uh, some of these elements went and, and, and captured these, these folks and uh, communiques were published that uh, they, they captured an Al-Qaeda center and there really was nothing to it. So I, I think uh, actions like this uh, indicate that uh, uh, Hadi in particular, again, uh, he's, he's a very cunning, very, very smart, uh, man, he's been in, uh, in intelligence for uh, a long time, uh, and uh, uh, well, I said you have to keep an eye on him because I'm not so sure that he, has, he doesn't have uh, uh, ambitions of, of his own. So what he has been doing, what he has been able to do is to to uh, uh, to use his position to essentially uh, carry out coups like this to uh, uh, again heighten uh, the hype a little bit.
when uh, Albright essentially pulled to side uh, into the, the, the American press uh, by essentially granting him a little bit of, uh, we're going to forget uh, all the stuff that he's done uh, in the past, just uh, be, be a, a, a good guy. So the French felt that they were almost expelled from Wilson. And that was the case until uh, literally uh, 2005, when Colpire was, was installed. They had a, a man that was close to them, Elim Hamadan, between 2005 and 2007, but then he was gone. When the democratic elected leader came, they did not find a, a, a way to deal with it. He, the independent generation, some, some uh, uh, deeply ingrained anti-French sentiment. Now, when he was overthrown by Ulam Aziz, they saw a golden opportunity to come back, to essentially uh, uh, <coughs> almost claim what, what they felt was theirs, that was taken away by, by, by Americans. And like I said, uh, Americans in, uh, in 2008 certainly played the role of a good guy. We're not dealing with you. You have overthrown the democratic French did not have that kind of form. They, 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 and they handedly dealt with, 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 with him at his most vulnerable. Got everything that they wanted. So all he wanted just to keep it keep out. They signed all kind of agreements. Uh, the, the French, again, like I said, in, in uh, March 2009, had already some troops uh, uh, in the north, beating the the the, the, the military junta regime. They had that signed all kind of so they are back uh, with a vengeance, if you will. So, uh, and they see themselves very much as uh, uh, in, in competition with, with, uh, with the U.S. So, and, and uh, they have also been uh, uh, spreading uh, uh, very, very bad uh, news about Afikam as being uh, an imperial project, etc. So, I think the U.S. should factor that in in the case of Mauritania in its dealings with them. I have I have names at Judge Clement Sylvester, then I'll add. Uh, yeah. uh, Congressman, in my respect, perhaps I missed it. Uh, are there linkages between the criminal, various criminal activities you described and terrorist activities in the in the subregion? Mostly just through smuggling and marketing. Classified world, yes, there, there are some um, pretty serious linkages through multiple small groups that both move cocaine and product and also are tied to this joint. Uh, where they are classified, were and I do in the analysis, we have to pick up on this project to tease out some of these connections. I've already tried. There's nothing in speculation and it's all because it happens other places it's a natural thing for it to happen the nexus between uh, weapons human and drug trafficking you know all the ingredients are there all the independent variables are there but I am pressed in open source documentation to be able to put my finger on uh, as much as I try one thing I found Classified side, it's all human. It's all human intelligence. And, uh, 
However, on the unclassified side, all I've seen is a, uh, a paper that talked about, the, once again loosely, the linkages of Al-Qaeda to cigarettes and cigarettes being tied to multiple insurgencies around the world as a funding mechanism. And if you look back at the, at the dossiers of each of these men, Mukhtar uh, Mukhtar, they were smugglers. Yeah. They were all very, very serious smugglers. You know, when they need money, they'll smuggle. Or now what they'll do is they will um, they'll kidnap. Because they, the Europeans have continued to pay for um, money for kidnapping. Um, and it's become a mechanism, just the same as done in, uh, in Colombia and Latin America. They won't, if they, they probably won't target American, um, Americans in, in Britain be targeted for spectacular events. Hezbollah. What? Is, is there? And I say this with all modesty and honesty. 
And the reason why they perceive these things as very personal, well, of course, aside from the details, is that, look, Europeans told us, at least my great great grandfather, that we are coming to help us because Arabs were, were, were dealing with slavery. And they were right. Arabs were, were dealing with slavery. Montenegro is a perfect example of that. When they came and they sold our people in a way that Arabs could not possibly do because they had more technology and all of that. Until recent years, when uh, religion has been criticized, first and foremost, what, uh, to be honest, it didn't start with the military. But today, in, 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 in search for legitimacy, 
harder than the the, uh, the first Chilean uh, game that had had already started. Because uh, uh, remember, the name of the country is Islamic Republic of Mauritania. But when they came in, they introduced Sharia. The first the first who did that was uh, Colonel Hedad, who was overthrown by Colonel Sire. He introduced Sharia. And he started to basically uh, purge with, uh, with, with Islam, to criticize it. And before you know it, you started having all kinds of segments of society, uh, essentially uh, criticizing, started to criticize Islam. Then uh, uh, came the, the, this wave of uh, Wahhabist type of Islam and Salafists coming from Saudi Arabia with a lot of money creating uh, what, uh, well, malicious computers, all kinds of uh, things, but schools that are, uh, are uh, uh, manned by teachers who come straight from Saudi Arabia, uh, started to, to liberalize that kind of, uh, of, of Islam. And it became part of uh, uh, the, the, the national uh, 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 discourse, if you will. And before you know it, you had a Mauritania that has a brand of Islam, at least in rhetoric, that started very much to almost invite what was to happen. Then 1999, Wutah uh, uh, is all behind uh, uh, established relations with Israel. The only Arab member state to do that, aside from Egypt and Jordan. And even when Egypt and Jordan, when there was, was a major crisis in the Middle East, strengthened their relations, he maintained it. Again, in the Islamic Republic of Mauritania, that also invited a radicalization of Islam in Mauritania. Now, of course, you have the, 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 all the, 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 the endemic uh, issues of poverty, of uh, miseducation, of uh, youth that uh, has absolutely no, no prospect. So you added all of that. And the proximity of Algeria, the, the uh, uh, coming back of some Mauritanians who went to fight in Afghanistan. You have the, the uh, Islamic Legion of Qadadi. Uh, so Mauritanians were, were part of it. You have all of this. And you started having a serious, uh, serious uh, issue and with the, the, the ascendancy of, of uh, Al-Qaeda. So yes, you started having uh, uh, the dynamics of Algeria and all the, the, the sub-regions started to translate themselves into activities, terrorist activities. And before he was overthrown, Mutaya saw, saw a golden opportunity. He, was, he felt threatened by Islamists who were really started to even want to create a party. He forbade them to create a party. Forced them to go underground. And he saw a benefit particularly after September 11, to again uh, have a rebirth as a champion of anti-terrorism in, in, in the region. And of course, to ally himself with the infidels. So all of that created the condition where some Mauritanians started to engage in terrorist activities. And the GSPC also uh, 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 helped them. So yes, you do have objectively a terrorist threat on, on the country, or in Mauritania. How much of it, that's a matter of debate. But 
clearly it was manipulated by the British military uh, uh, regime, and in particular certain elements in that military establishment who wanted to manipulate the amendment. And that is really what I'm talking about. And when the US came, they said, well, in this situation here where we really are worried about uh, uh, the, all these open spaces being used, We can help. And again, that, that's the whole situation. Again, I'm, I'm omitting, omitting uh, totally a number of other uh, variables. But this is what I was talking about. You have the, the general condition where uh, terrorism uh, uh, has a potential to, to, to grow, and you have a military establishment that is uh, bent on using it to attract those dollars and to attract uh, <coughs> Thank you very much. Uh,
completely correctly. Uh, yeah, uh, I do remember that the installment deal was invited, and uh, we hope that uh, at, at that time it, it was trying to, to become clear that uh, he really had, had so much stack against him that uh, he, he was uh, on his way out. Now, we recently were a little bit disappointed that when it was in 2005, the U.S. was one of the, 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 the rare countries that insisted that he be returned. Now, by the time I got there, it was September. Yeah, August 29th. August 29th, 2005? Yeah, right. Uh, well, uh, he was returned in uh, in uh, in, uh, in August uh, August 1st. Yeah. And so and and, and that changed the policy. What? Because uh, <laughs> I remember the briefing of, uh, of uh, your, your spokesperson. He was insisting that no, the guy would come back. We, we, we definitely changed the policy. I still have the transcript here. Me and, me and Cindy together. Well, we changed well, the policy. Well, of course, I don't know if you can see my, 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 my memoirs again, but <laughs> I, I certainly did all, all I can. Let me, let me say one, one quick thing. Uh, yes, 2008 coup, uh, there, there was a, a period of, of, uh, of uh, uncertainty. But again, uh, Maybe, I, maybe I'm mistaken. I certainly was very happy that uh, 2008, uh, you guys really had the high road. So you said, well, look, the guy was elected, and there was a, a campaign to, 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 to really prepare this coup, uh, to depict him as uh, having, for example, built a mosque in his palace, uh, or to have um, uh, uh, recognized the, the, the moderate Islamic party. But in principle, really, should matter. The U.S. Uh, for once, I said, "Well, look, the guy was elected. No coup. Period." And in this case, France. I won't expand on this, but uh, I don't know if you know about this. France was the president of the EU at the time. It was no coincidence that happened in the period, and they really played a, a very underhanded role. Because in, in, in misleading everybody, particularly the, the European uh, friends who knew not much about uh, And for the first time, I, 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 I could not believe that the French president, in front of the cameras of the world, would just tell a bold lie. It, essentially, to prepare what, what they were preparing, to legitimize the guy. He said that uh, uh, when the coup happened, nobody protested. People were being gassed day in, day out. The president of the National Assembly went to France was received at the Elysee and at the, the, the Parliament. And all of that, he, he president cameras lied about it. He said, I called the president myself. He never did that. So France essentially was uh, after getting back into Mauritania. And I really believe that, just tell our colleagues, that they have to pay attention to this thing. The, the, the French now have, have locking Mauritania into the, 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 the sphere again because they have to come into power. And uh, the, the U.S. should really uh, pay very close attention to that and make sure that they also uh, uh, make sure that they come back and uh, can influence what happens. Really. Okay. Uh, I have two more names here who I want to have questions. And the next will be Diane.
say that they, that's a good question, but uh, first they don't feel that, that it's my responsibility to convince applicants verbally on the benefit of Africom. That's done through actions. Sitting here reading the, the, this report that just came out on 30 September 2009 on the legal drug trade in Africa, it just said that Last year, in 2006, point, a half a million dollars for drugs, what the U.S. government was putting into Africa. Now it's up to seven and a half million. Africa will have a key part in that on the military part under the guidance of the Department of State to help mitigate drug flow, which saves the future of Africa. So it's by action. Yeah. Thank you very much. And the last question,
here is going to link African people's well-being to those ancient paths, those ancient trading paths that will, and my thinking is that those paths, as I'm looking through the whole of West Africa, were securely maintained at the local level, at the indigenous level. So what is the conversation that's going to happen, or is there one that's already in place between Africom and the maintenance of those traditional thoughts, or indigenous rather thoughts about African security within, I see you shaking your head over here. Up here are the pictures. That's available. You can educate yourself. And that's the same report from the UN that uh, we give out. Um, that we received it from the UN because that shows that when that's given to the right man or the right woman who has a position in a position of authority to do something, that document and many other documents like that educate you. But once again, if we're looking at it from the, the proper perspective. We hear it, but for 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Okay. You know, I, I got a little bit irritated at my friends for marginalizing some of the things that were said. That nobody in here, nobody in Africa, thinks any of these are problems or threats. If you go to Guinea-Bissau, I can guarantee that the people in that country think that drug trafficking is a major, major threat. AFRICOM's purpose, which honestly I'm not prepared to Bottom line is the reason for AFRICOM is to the United States to show interest in the continent and in partnership with countries in Africa so that they have capabilities not to become Guinea Bissau. In fact, I'm quite irritated at the way that, that he mentioned that sort of comically. If, if you really would like to see what's happening in Guinea Bissau, there's documented evidence that online, a documentary about what's happened in that country. In this defense, and for all of us, because we, we do have a similar response, there is a 
Very briefly. Um, I, I could, I, 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 no, I'm going to. Yes. Just a very quick statement. What has been enumerated are all real. There is something else that is related to this that we might have crossed over. Uh, armed robbery is a serious problem in almost every urban center in West Africa. And this is related to a number of smuggling and drug activities. Yes. Thank you. I like the sharpness with which you put that. I will even second you and say another issue is the um, accusing of little babies of witchcraft and religious institutions who are nothing but criminals trying to 
if you will, exercise that wish from, uh, from the children. We have all kinds of problems, yes? Okay, um, this is where I plead your uh, acceptance that indeed this particular panel has come to an end, and I want to really uh, appreciate uh, both uh, Professor Andrea and uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Spangler's presentation. And for you all, audience members, you've done wonderfully well. What you have told me is indeed uh, the effort put into bringing all of us together is well worth it. Uh, because yeah, because the, the questions that are on the table uh, is generally classified as human security as opposed to national security. In other words, perhaps we need to recalibrate and examine the context, the platform, on which human security indeed should be the basis for engagement in West Africa, if not the entire Africa, because it deals directly with the politics of the belly or just being able to go to bed and sleep soundly. Uh, but before I yield the floor to my colleague, I want to say a big thank you to the Mission Center for International Security Studies. They not only provided resources for us to be able to have some sustenance, fly some of you in, etc. They provided this beautiful oasis of intellectual discussion. Uh, the staff at the Mission Center have been quite helpful for us. They've coordinated a number of things. They've been, remained very present. And are you, are you somewhere around? Please uh, show your face a little bit. This is the event coordinator, the logistics person. We really appreciate your work and your effort. A special thank you to the students, the young people. Wave if you are here. Who? There is one, two, one, two there. Three. Those who have helped us uh, picking up people from the airport and doing a number of things. But I can assure you, I have not done anything with regard to this conference. I am merely representing the Center for African Studies. Uh, some people may disagree, but the Center for African Studies is known as Laura Joseph. <laughs> Laura, please, if you could get up, get up. Thank you. I, I give her many titles, Director of Operations, Director of Strategic Thinking, 
etc. She is truly, truly uh, a wonderful person uh, to work with. And of course, I would not have been able to put this together, uh, Laura and I, or the center, without the help of Peter Agbese, and of course, the help of uh, George Keir. And I am really, really grateful that a lot of you answered the call. I want to extend this special thank you to Professor Jendai Frazier. Uh, she is a friend, a teacher. She actually was on my PhD dissertation thesis, and uh, I learned quite a bit from her. And for her to come and stay, a special thank you. For all the presenters, you'll be receiving further instructions. And at this point, I want to turn it over to George Keir, Dean of Arts and Sciences at the University of West Virginia, West Georgia. I want to move you over to West Virginia. This is the second time. Maybe so you can be closer to me. <laughs> Thank you. Well, can actually as expression of the thanks, let me re-echo those sentiments and say this certainly has been quite a stimulating discussion over two days uh, in the uh, conceptualization of the project. Uh, we were now under the illusion that this certainly will represent the end, that you can't meet for two days and papers are written and books get published, but that a number of the issues that you've raised, or in, including folks in the audience, uh, that possibly those can be packaged uh, into opportunities uh, for further research as well. Of course, one of the ideas is to broaden the scope of the discussion to the, la the, the larger continental context beyond West Africa. That's one possibility. Uh, uh, there are issues about human security, certainly uh, other kinds of possibilities as well. So, uh, you know, we'll clearly be discussing these and discussing them with you as well. Uh, including your own ideas. Um, since Kalechi and Laura and uh, Ian and the rest of them have really done the work, he's given me the bad guy's job of visiting, bringing you the bad news in terms of their minds <laughs> and all of that. So, I, I don't, and I'm a good guy, so I don't like to do that. Say it. So I don't know why. <laughs> but on a more serious note, um, the deadline for the receipt of your revised chapters, and you, you're going to get detailed, uh, detailed notes, but this is just heads up. And by a revised chapter, we're talking basically about uh, taking cognizance of comments and suggestions that have been made, and you incorporate those in that draft uh, and submit your, that final draft by January the 4th. Now, I know that's not a... That's not a good time coming after the new year, but you know the further you push these things, uh, the more difficult it is to uh, get them published. So that's uh, at least a little over two months. So you know that should give each of us uh, ample time. Uh, we are thinking two volumes, given the fact that we have about 18 papers. By the time you add introductions and whatnot, you're talking 20, 20 chapters. So we're thinking two volumes. Uh, and that each chapter should be no more than 30 pages in length, double space. So if you got 40, 50, please try to sort of restructure, cut here and there, and, uh, and, and, and do all of the other magic to get it to at least uh, 30 pages. 
Um, the format in terms of notation, preferably should be endnotes, not full notes, endnotes. Uh, and in terms of headings, subheadings, if you can, if you can use caps for your headings and lowercase for your subheadings, so at least those can, those can be the distinguishing features. We clearly will uh, appreciate that. And of course, uh, just email your chapters to Kelechi so that you can have one, one uh, common source. Uh, and then in the next week, uh, we'll try to send you uh, uh, detailed guidelines as well. But those, all of this is just intended as heads up. So back to you, boss. Again, thank you very much, especially for those of you coming from outside of the country. We truly, truly appreciate uh, you're taking the time to come visit with us. Uh, I personally look forward to uh, all of you joining us in the future because this is the beginning of a conversation that uh, we intend to carry through uh, to its logical conclusions. If it amounts to uh, having Peter as president and uh, George Kia as vice president in Nigeria, and they will take turn to rule Liberia. <laughs> but on a serious note, uh, we intend to carry the discussion to uh, various parts of the continent. If you are able to, do not hesitate to please join us at the University of KwaZulu-Natal uh, in Peter Marisburg in South Africa, uh, January 29th to the 31st. Uh, 2010, where we will examine the territorial origins of African civil conflict. Um, because you've been wonderful people, wonderful scholars, if there is one or two of you here that wants to participate, I might use my little influence and sneak in your abstract. Otherwise, uh, the paper presentations are closed, but of course, because Ambassador to South Africa, former Ambassador to South Africa is here, she's welcome to come in at any point in time. Again, I really, really thank you for gracing us with your presence. Have a blessed and wonderful day. Join us for dinner. And before we leave, what is Esther? This wonderful lady, Dr. Esther Gottlieb, has volunteered to give anyone a tour of the campus. Uh, if you are willing to see what the university looks like. But I'm quite sure you should probably go to the Oval and then come back so that there will be enough time uh, for us to rest a little bit and you'll be picked up from your hotel to the dinner. There will be music, right? Really African food. So go rest up and come and enjoy yourself. What's the empirical evidence that there will be real African food? Did you hear? Did you see over there? The, the, the dinner is at 7 p.m. And according to your notes, you should be at the lobby by 6:45. Okay. Okay, 6:45. Thank you again, and uh, it's been a pleasure.